0: Welcome to Coffee with the Docs. We are a holistic lifestyle podcast where we give integrative solutions and bring brilliant experts to help you thrive, mind, body, and spirit. We are doctors, Nicole Huffman and Abby Kramer, and we're so happy you're here. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Coffee with the Docs. I am so excited for you guys to hear Dr. Jill Carnahan today on repeat. She is repeated guest. I actually think she's our first repeated guest.
1: I think so too. She really might be.
0: So yay for Dr. Jill. So she is a very dear friend of mine. I work out of her clinic um, a day a week and I just, she is just a wealth of knowledge. She also has an amazing YouTube channel. And before our talk was all about mold and we did touch on mold a little in this episode, but it really is all about autoimmune, which is something that so many people struggle with. And she really breaks it down. And we even get to chat a little bit about Lyme disease, which I feel like is starting to be a little bit more widely known and people are starting to understand it more. And um, these are just things that a lot of people struggle with silently. And so I love that she's able to educate us. And so it, you know, it can get science but she's so good at breaking it down and making it really tangible. And so I know you guys are going to love this episode.
1: Yeah. It's science but it doesn't feel science because she's yeah. so good at making something that's so complex, just very simple. And I yeah. really appreciate that. And I also loved how she really shared this time which i don't think she did last time more about her own personal health journey
0: her personal which i thought was amazing wild yeah Yeah. i mean she she also speaks like really all over the world well when we were traveling right Mm -hmm. um and she just has a really powerful story that really helps a lot of people and she's just such a good person and just Mm -hmm. brilliant so you guys are going to totally dig this one
1: yeah, so listen, share this with anyone who it applies to people struggling with autoimmune or trying to figure out what's going on with their health. Yeah. Um, highly suggest sharing this episode with those folks. And in addition, we wanted to talk about one of our partners, uh, Megasporabiotic or Microbiome Labs is the company. And it's an absolutely amazing physician grade spore-based probiotic, which has huge benefits for the gut and immune system. So if you're looking at autoimmune stuff or gut issues, chronic inflammation, this is the probiotic for you. There's nothing better. The research behind it's insane. So we'll link that to you guys because it's physician grade. So you can only get it through doctors. So that's why we're here for you.
0: Yep. So yeah, always Dr. Jill also loves Megaspore. So start slow with it. Uh, reach out to us if you guys have had some great experiences with it so far. A lot of people have, which is awesome. So check the link below and enjoy the episode. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Coffee with the Docs. I am so excited. Today we have Dr. Jill Carnahan. Hi, Jill. Hey,
2: Nicole, great to be here with you.
0: I'm so glad you're here. So you're one of my absolute favorites. And I think you're the first one to make our second debut on our pod. So thank you so much for your time and expertise as
2: always. Oh my gosh, I'm honored. And I love what you guys are doing. I just think it's fantastic. I love listening myself. So really excited to be here again.
0: Yay. All right. Well, let's start off with the first two. And then I can't wait to dive into our conversation. So as you know, we always ask every guest two questions. Like if we were hanging out on the couch or at the coffee shop, as we do, um, what is your favorite
2: drink that you're drinking these days? Oh, well, my go-to is it actually it's named now the coffee shop. I just posted an article about cinnamon. So it's a cinnamon powder, coconut milk latte, and the article was so great because there's so much research on cinnamon, um, um, anti-diabetes, so it regulates blood sugar, and the article that I posted was on anti-cancer effects, which I had not known, and I think it's a Ceylon- C Y L O N. Maybe I'm not sure I'm terrible speller. <laughs> the cinnamon I mean, they're all really good, but that was then of course it's the most expensive cinnamon, but right. And so good. Yeah. But I do crave it. I love cinnamon. I love adding it to smoothies and it's bet. It's really good on a latte. Yum. So what's so funny when I
0: saw your article, I used to do cinnamon all the time. I learned about its blood sugar effects when I was in med school. And so I just used it all the time and I forgot about it. So I saw your article and now it's in every drink every time now.
2: Yes. and let me tell you a secret if you're at home listening or for you Nicole Dr Nicole um I also love I actually now um often do like a single um a uh, French press on the coffee at home. But if I'm doing a brew of a pot I'll I, with the grinder, actually put the cinnamon in with the beans and grind it up together. Ooh. And so you actually brew the cinnamon into the coffee and it's amazing. If even black oh with gosh. that cinnamon brewed in is so delicious. <laughs> I think I'm gonna do that tomorrow with my Americano. That sounds amazing. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: Good tip. Okay, awesome. And then I know you're like my biohacking favorite friend because you have a million devices. So what is your latest one that you're into right now?
2: Oh, you probably know what I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I just got a mat from higher dose. And, um, you know, my friend, another friend had another naturopath has a like $20,000 PEMF mat. And I was like, oh my gosh, they're so expensive. And I didn't really look at the science. So I've kind of like known about PEMF, but been like, whatever. And then I got this mat for, you know, really reasonable price, a fraction of that. And I was like, ma, you know, and she was saying, you know, the technology is similar and it's not that expensive. So your mat should actually work as well as my $20,000 mat. I was like, well, whatever. Nicole, it has changed my life. I love, love, love PEMF. So that's pulsed electromagnetic frequency. There's all different frequencies. Some of them are more like the earth. Um, So they're kind of grounding, like calming. I'll do like the lower hertz before bed. Some of them are more like stimulating and they're really great. The data is it's amazing. When you look at the studies, there's uh, cognitive effects. There's physical just for energy and mitochondria um, lots and lots of studies on pain and healing. So I'm just new to this and I'm just finding it out. But I, for me, literally it's right beside me. I, every single day get on that mat. I can't, I love it. I'm addicted. (laughs) I love that.
0: We used to use it in our clinic in California all the time for a lot for pain and detox. But like if someone had just like had a concussion or I guess like it's used a lot with NFL players if they have like injuries and stuff. Right.
2: Yeah. The data on the brain healing for post-concussion, even like cognitive decline, um, even like mm-hmm. anxiety, depression, insomnia is so like, I couldn't believe all the data. And then, like you said, all these pain, because what it does is stimulates your cells to more healing. Um, and it's funny because I don't know if you, you and I talked about it or my other naturopathic friend, but a lot of people see PEMF and they've heard all these things about EMF and they're like, oh my gosh, right. my more sensitive. Well, according to the data, it could actually help heal you from some of the EMFs. I think it's not only not harmful to those with electromagnetic sensitivity, but I think it's actually maybe an antidote.
0: I think so too. And also I'm assuming it's like the, um, biomats too. It's like plugged into something that helps to block the EMFs. Correct. So that you're not even really getting anything like that when you're on it. Right.
2: Yeah. Something I think like it's that. very grounded. Exactly. Yeah. I'm still, like I said, it felt like a whole new language. Know. We're like, <laughs> but, right. <laughs> yeah, I think so. But it's really, we'll have to do another podcast. Someday. We will. Just PMF once just I put that on it. <laughs> I know this is the problem. Anytime
0: I ask people their biohack, I talk for like 20 minutes about that. And I'm like, oh yeah. Oh, it's by the so way. <laughs> fascinating what everybody's doing. And I think too, just based in our current climate, everybody's finding different things that maybe help them with stress or anxiety versus like, you know, what
2: normally might be going on with somebody. So. Oh, and I will tell you just as, This is like I object to two things. So um, I have immune issues and I'm dealing with those through IVIG. But um, I found, um, so my protein has always been kind of low, no matter what I eat, it's due to the low protein, the low gamma globulins. But all that to say, I've been years and years doing labs and seeing that protein low. And 10 days after I did this PMF, um, my protein's normal for the first time in years. Now, I don't know yet if that's the only, but that's really the only variable. So I'm gonna look into that and see if that's real. Um, and the other thing is I have my aura ring like you. And so I can track my deep sleep and my um, REM sleep. And I always have good, both at uh, my sleep is great, but literally my sleep went from an average of like an hour 45 to two hours of uh, deep to like two and a half hours, sometimes three hours. Wow. And I've had nights recently where I'll get only five hours of sleep, but like two and a half, three hours of that is deep. It's like so amazing <laughs> as That's far as amazing. how amazing. Are
0: you sleeping on it or that's just from using it during the
2: day? Just from doing it. Now I almost always do it before bed. Like I love evening ritual is to get a cup of tea and lay on my mat. (laughs) Um, But uh, so I think it probably affects me right before bed more than anything. But, and again, this is all just my speculation. I've only had a few weeks of data, but I'm pretty sure that it affects deep sleep profoundly. And if it could actually heal some of my intestinal integrity from my past, which we might go into today on autoimmunity um, I'm suspecting that there's actually have, I'm seeing some of the healing of the leaky gut based on PEMF. And if that's happening, it was literally 10 to 14 days of use before I saw the changes. That's amazing.
0: That's amazing. And I think we talked about this a little bit when you had told me about that before, about how it's possible too, that it's stimulating the cells to really be able to use more of that nutrition, right? Instead of just sort of like, you know a lot of people have malabsorption issues right which is the gut too and i think also even on a cellular level so yeah. so cool all right it is cool <laughs> awesome yeah we'll have to do like an episode just on that so before we dive in
2: um i'm going to have you just introduce yourself to our audience sure so Um, I'm going to give the two minute version. I um, grew up in Illinois on a farm, and I got breast cancer at 25 in the middle of medical school. And I was always on a path to wellness and healing. I always knew I wanted to be a healer. But I actually looked at naturopathic school, I looked at chiropractic school, I looked at traditional Chinese medical, because all of those fields were much more aligned with who I was at a soul level. I always joke with you and everybody else, I kind of have the heart of a naturopath. (laughs) Um, And I I feel like that more healing, um, you know, embodies who I am. But but um, before I got cancer, I looked at all these schools and I got accepted to allopathic medicine. And I thought, you know what? Why not learn our system, which is the most reimbursable system in the US right now? Sadly, it is. Yeah, and it's yeah. good for trauma and heart attacks and that. Absolutely. And- And learn that, but then really understand it so that I can be one of the change makers and make a difference. So part of my path was this, like, I really didn't align exactly with um, MD school, but it was beautiful because I got a great foundation. And then I could take what I learned there and try to shift and change the system. And so now I'm kind of doing a hybrid because I do a much more holistic, functional, integrative approach. And we are probably way more aligned than many of my conventional um, allopathic MDs. But in the midst of that journey, God's like, okay, Jill, you're going to be a guinea pig and this is your journey. And so I got cancer, breast cancer, very aggressive at 25 Um, I did all the conventional therapies. And then basically the last 18 to 20 years, I've been recovering, not from the cancer. That was easy, but recovering from the side effects of the treatment, which were toxic and they saved my life. So I'm grateful, but I did three drug chemo. I did radiation. I lost all my hair. I mean, I got really, really ill. Within six months after finishing treatment, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which will be very good segue to our talk on autoimmunity today, because there's a clear connection of those toxic metabolites and my gut integrity. And then this abnormal response to a normal microbiome, which is just a definition of at a cellular level, what happens with Crohn's disease. So your body starts to attack itself. And so then I had to figure out how to recover from both of those things. And it was interesting with the gut and with Crohn's and this new autoimmune, I realized talking to my uh, gastroenterologist who said, Jill diet has nothing to do with this. And I thought, no, that can't be right. I didn't know much. I was a third year student, but I knew that didn't feel right to me. And so I went and pursued alternatives and I came across some dietary changes within two weeks of making those changes. I was symptom free from my Crohn's. So I knew that diet had everything to do with it. I wasn't cured, but it was a start and it reinforced my belief that food is medicine. And so then my journey continued, but really that's how it started um, into this field of functional medicine. And I remember in residency right out of medical school, when I heard about functional medicine, which is looking for root cause of disease and trying to reverse that um, when possible. I remember just being like, oh my gosh, this is what I've always wanted to do. I didn't know there was a name for it. So.
0: I love that. I mean, it's such a powerful story. And I think Isn't it interesting? I mean, I'm so glad you're an MD because you're also able to prescribe all these higher level things that people still need while they're healing. And unfortunately, us naturopaths can only do that in a couple States, which is really a shame. And so you really get the best of both worlds. So, I mean, I think it's, it was obviously the right path and you've been able to learn so much and you're such an inspiration to so many people. So how about we start since you've kind of, talked about autoimmune a little bit, let's start there. So what exactly is an autoimmune condition?
2: Yeah. So autoimmunity is um, basically when your body gets confused and instead of attacking a foreign invader and fighting off an infection or a toxin, it starts to attack yourself. So it's this reverse uh, thing. And what can happen that's very interesting, you would think if self is, atta- if your body's attacking itself, it's this overreactive immune response. And that's true, but it actually often coincides with other parts of the immune system that are deficient. So it's actually not uncommon to have arms of the immune system that are under and then this arm that's attacking self that's overworking and they can exist at the same time. And so as you and I do with our patients, understanding which pieces are overreacting, which pieces are underreacting is really key in helping the patients. And the Alessio Fasano years ago described the triad underlying autoimmunity. And when I really got this, this has completely changed the way I practice medicine. And what I love is you can have, I always think of it as like a wheel with spokes and um, you can have spokes that are lupus, you can have rheumatoid arthritis, you can have multiple sclerosis, you can have um, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, you can have um, things like mind Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis and many, many, many more. And there's literally thousands in this bucket and often they get segue, they get basically pushed off into silos. So your rheumatologist sees you for the arthritis, your gastroenterologist sees you for the Crohn's, um, your neurologist sees you for the MS. And so this is very into different silos and they don't really talk a lot in conventional medicine but if we lump them all together um, what's changed my life and my practice is understanding this triad is common to any one of those spokes that we could talk about so for example um, you have genetics and genetics are always at play because someone who has an autoimmune predisposition also has either usually a family history of someone else in the family, and it might have been a grandmother that had lupus and an aunt that had rheumatoid arthritis and an uncle that had Crohn's, so it can present different ways, but there is this commonality that predisposes people to have this self-reaction. That's a piece you can't change, but the other part of the triad is changeable, and that's where you and I come in to actually change the trajectory of someone's illness when they're diagnosed with autoimmunity. The other parts of this are one of the arms of the triad is the gut immune system inter face. So whether it's leaky gut, creating permeability. And if you think about the gut lumen, you have this tube from your mouth to your anus, and that's where you interact with the external environment. So what happens is those antigens from food or from bacteria or from fungus or from other exposures with our external environment, they cross over in the case of a permeable membrane, the permeable gut, it's like tiles that line your bathroom walls that have no grout, things leak right in. And right next door to the gut is the bloodstream because it it absorbs nutrients. So when that happens, you have these and things that get into the bloodstream that have no business being there, like a full corn antigen that leaked through or a piece of gluten or um, parasites or bacterial um, coatings called LPS. And there's many other things, but all these things, is like garbage getting dumped into the bloodstream. And then the body's like, wait a second, what the heck is this doing here? This is not supposed to be here. We need to fight and mount a defense. And that's the trigger that starts the cascade of the body reacting. So it's really the immune system. System trying to do its job. It just overreacts. And then all of a sudden it gets confused. And there's something called molecular mimicry, which say it sees this piece of bacteria from your gut into the bloodstream. What in the world is this doing here? We need to fight it. But then it gets confused and those antibodies that are meant to fight that bacteria may cross react to your joints or they may cross-react to your brain, or they may cross-react. And when we measure autoantibodies in the blood, we're actually measuring those self-antibodies to your own tissue. So that's the two parts of the triad. The last part, is environmental triggers so what happens with this is there is many many things and this is where you and I play detective and we try to find what the environmental trigger was this could be something like heavy metal so if you've had many mercury amalgams mercury could be a trigger if you grew up in a, a house with lead paint and you ingested that as a child going along the floor and playing with your toys um, if you uh, had mold so if you had water damaged your home unbeknownst to you there's mold growing in there you and I have both had experiences with that and then that can trigger autoimmunity and another thing we may talk more about is lyme disease which is becoming epidemic and other infections as well so the ticks carry these sometimes cats like in the case of bartonella or these other infections that are very insidious they're kind of quiet but any of those environmental triggers and the one that's probably the most common, I didn't even mention yet is gluten. So gluten in our diet is a huge trigger to autoimmunity. So basically just to review, triad, you have genetics, can't do a lot about that. You have the gut immune interface and leaky gut, and then you have these environmental triggers. So even if I have someone walk in with a one in a million autoimmune disease that I've never heard of before, I'm not afraid because it's the same exact process underlying this that we go towards in looking at the gut, looking at environmental triggers. And the bottom line here is if you find those triggers and you start to treat and reverse them, I have seen miracles and complete reversal, just like my Crohn's disease with autoimmunity that's been said to be irreversible.
0: I know. It's amazing. I love how you explain that. I feel like it really is able to sort of, as a detective, be able to separate some things, right? In terms of the environmental piece, do you also see where like trauma or emotional stress could be in
2: that piece too. Oh my goodness. I love that you talked about this because as I've delved into my history, so I had cancer at 25, Crohn's at 26, mold related illness in my thirties into my forties. And, um, lots and lots of, I say, I'm the Guinea pig. I have to learn by experience and then teach all of my you know, mm-hmm. patients, colleagues, but all of that to say, Um, As I've done my work in the last uh, four or five years regarding my emotional health and uh, trauma work and somatic experiencing therapies and all of these things in order to get to my best emotional health, what I realized is it's very, very common. And I'll just talk about myself. So I was a little girl that wanted to be a good girl. And so um, things that weren't okay, when I was growing up were sadness and anger, I was happy, I was optimistic. And I always defaulted to that. And I buried and suppressed, especially anger. I remember the first time I saw my therapist in my late 30s. And she asked me about anger. And I literally said, Oh, I don't get angry. Like, <laughs> and And she laughed, of course, just like you did, because like, of course, every human being has this array of emotions and anger and sadness and fear and joy. Those are the four primary. And there's a thousand more that go into that. But I really, really believed at that point in my late 30s. I don't have anger. But guess what? When that's the case, what happened was that was not okay or allowable in how I grew up. And so I suppressed any anger and that suppression of anger. It is documented in the literature to contribute to autoimmunity. Mm. And it metaphorically kind of makes sense because it's your, your body's attacking yourself. So if you have anger and you can't express it outwardly, you're expressing it inwardly towards self-hatred or self-loathing or self-anger, and it will manifest in disease. And that was part of my healing after I did all the work with my gut was to look at my own anger and start to learn how to express it in a healthy way.
0: Amazing. I mean, so powerful when you're addressing everything at the same time too. I think for some patients, it can seem a little overwhelming, but- if you're able to look at it that way, like there's so many different components. I think it's Woody Allen who said, I don't get angry, I just grow a tumor. And it's like, yeah, it's like, well, that makes a whole lot of sense. (laughs) I don't remember what a practitioner that was. Maybe you, I don't know, somebody, one of the doctors said that almost all autoimmune can be related back to some sort of trauma too, which I find just to be so fascinating. And even if you're able to start clearing up all the other stuff, just such a worthwhile piece to go into, right?
2: And I want to say that's why I love working with you because I feel like, I mean, I often will refer someone to a behavioral therapist or a trauma therapist or somatic or you in my office, we work together. But that's one of the exciting things is because you have a very different approach that's so complementary to what I do. Cause I'm in the bio, deep in the biochemistry and so are you at times, but you with the NET and some of the other therapies that you do, I feel like you can really get to some of those pieces that I'd necessarily in the office won't get to. So it's really neat to have other practitioners like you that complement what we do, you know, do.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I feel like not everybody is ready for that though. Right. So you do sort of have to be in this place where it's like, and some people are like, Okay. I remember you saying that. I don't really want to do that right now. And then they're like, okay, it's time to work on it. Or it's time to, and there's so many different ways of working on the emotional piece, which is awesome. So one of the things you were saying, actually, I have one question before we go to Lyme. Do you have any thoughts on why say somebody is going to get Hashimoto's while somebody else is going to get Crohn's? Do you see that yeah. play out in like lab work or what, why do you think?
2: Yeah, so there's definitely um, some genetics involved here. So, for example, with Crohn's, there's a gene called NOD2. I have it. Um, No surprise. I also have the celiac gene, so I got both of those things. But um, the NOD, for example, um, as I mentioned with Crohn's, it's really this genetic predisposition towards an abnormal response to the normal microbiome. So it's not like I, I did have overgrowth of bacteria and yeast and other things, but I could have had normal probiotics in my gut and my body would get confused because that genetic programming If we go I'm trying to get too technical, but I'm going to explain it, I think in a simple way, our bodies have HLAs and HLAs is our immune systems, a way of, of like, it's like a Pac-Man. I describe it in the clinic, talking to patients, we all have these little Pac-Mans are out there chomping on little bits of foreign material and telling our body, Hey, this is just corn. This is just egg. This is just wheat. And for someone who's not celiac, all of those should be benign, not a trigger. It's just food. No big deal. But those little Pac-Man and people genetically are sometimes pro programmed to overreact to certain things. So for example, in a celiac like myself, the Pac-Man are are programmed to think that gluten is a very dangerous stranger. So instead of being like, oh, that's just food, no big deal in my body and anyone with celiac or non-celiac gluten sensitivity, um, it's programmed that HLA, the Pac-Man are programmed to think that it's a very, very bad thing and that we must protect the host, which is me. And so in order to do that, they send the alarm to the immune system. And then all of these red lights go on like a ambulance coming by and there is lots and lots of cytokines, which are just inflammation molecules that are thrown out into the body and start to cause damage. And so those damaging molecules are actually what causes damage to thyroid or gut. So for example, you ask about predisposition with me with NOD2, I'm predisposed to react on a gut level. Um, I actually do have antibodies to my thyroid too. So often these guys, I always say those of us with autoimmunity, we collect autoimmune diseases because it goes in clusters. Um, But it definitely, there's some genetics, there's some genetics related to MS. And the um, anti-neuronal antibodies, there's quite a few of those that can happen. Um, Same with Crohn's. And I don't think we've discovered every last autoimmune disease and what the genetic susceptibility is. But um, for example, if you have iron overload, hemochromatosis, or iron issues, that can predispose you to have reaction to liver or cytochromes in the liver or other issues. So there's many, many different ways this could manifest. And the many different genetics that kind of play into those Pac-Man and how they react to the body and the tissue
0: that was perfectly explained. That makes so much sense. Um, And you had said, I want to make sure we touch on Lyme. What, I
2: guess let's just start with what is the relationship between those two? Yeah. So let's just frame this in a big way because some people are like listening. You're like, oh, Lyme disease. All those people who are crazy about Lyme disease. It doesn't affect me. So Lyme is an epidemic. And I will tell you, honestly, I was one of those docs that's like, I don't treat Lyme. I don't want to see Lyme. And you cannot not see it, not treat it when you're doing chronic illness because it's very, very prevalent. And my theory on this is there's tons of thousands of people walking around that got bit by ticks as children, um, and they don't only 30% present with a rash post-bite. So that other... 70% may say, I never knew I got bit, I never had a rash, or I've never gotten bit, or I don't think I've ever gotten bit. And we think of it endemic to like Wisconsin, Michigan, um, East Coast for sure, Connecticut, Rhode Island, all of those states, Florida, and then on the West Coast in California, those are all pretty common areas. So for example, you and I here in Colorado, it's not endemic, but what we're not talking about is there's lots of different ticks. There's soft body ticks that carry tick borne relapsing fever. And those are actually more common in Texas and Colorado and Utah and some of the states here. Those particular ticks will come out at night Uh, towards a warm body. They're attracted by heat. When you're camping or hiking or in a cabin, they'll bite you and within 15 to 30 seconds, infect you with tick-borne relapsing fever. You'll never get a rash. You'll never know you got bit. So this is uh, an illusion that we think that we're always going to have a rash or know that we got bit. So back to my original um, theory is that we, I really believe there is many, many people walking around with spirochetes from Lyme or the co-infections, which also are many in their body, but Lyme is actually very low virulence. So virulence is how quickly it kills the host. So for example, Ebola virus does really high virulence, meaning it can kill someone in two or three days. It's horrendously um, high virulence. Lyme and Epstein-Barr, another virus, not a bacteria that causes autoimmunity, are very low virulence, which means they are slow and they're very insidious. And for example, the life cycle of Lyme Borrelia is about four weeks. That's why it takes so long on antibiotics to treat it, because if you have a strep infection, the life cycles 24 hours or 12 hours are very very short. So you can do a 14 day course of antibiotics and get every last one of those strep in your throat. Whereas if you're treating Lyme and you go for a month, you're barely going to touch the surface of those four week cycles. That's why it takes longer. All this to say, people are walking around, they're fine until their immune system drops. I always think of it as limbo bar, The bar drops, these old infections start popping up. And what can happen then is, so you have a moldy home. All of a sudden you got water damage. You didn't know it, mold's growing behind your walls. And that is a super toxic thing for the immune system. Um, you have a massive stressor, you lose a loved one to death or illness, you um, have a surgery, you um, have a massive psychological stressor like divorce or loss of a loved one, just any of these things. All of these things will affect immune system. Even now, during the pandemic, the isolation, the lack of human connection, the the kids, the, the young adults that I'm seeing that are not having that social connection at school, they're just sitting in front of a computer all day. All of these things are massive stressors. And when there's stress, or, or we could talk about heavy metals, or we could talk about parasites, but all these things are becoming really heavy on the immune system, dropping the bar so that all of a sudden more people are presenting with the symptoms that they never knew they had of Lyme disease or of co-infections or of Epstein-Barr. Once these bugs start to climb out and because the immune system isn't there, keeping them in check, then they start to trigger autoimmunity. So it's actually connected because for example, mold and Lyme can trigger inflammatory cytokines One of them is called TGF-beta, and TGF-beta is known to increase the the cells. They're called TH17s, and they will start to cause more autoimmunity. And they'll downregulate Treg cells, which are the, they're like the bartenders or the bouncers that keep the immune system in check from overreacting. So when you have Lyme or when you have... uh, old Epstein-Barr, you have a weakened immune system, infections start to pop up and present with symptoms for the first time, even if you've had the infection for 20 years, and then that infection or that toxin will start to trigger autoimmunity. Wow. I mean,
0: it's really, and it makes so much sense the way you explain it, because I feel like I haven't been in practice as long as you. However, I do feel like even in the time I've been treating people, It's like people are coming in with compounded, like I definitely presented with Lyme. I was in a moldy house. You know, it's like stacked on top of each other. And I think for a lot of people, it's really overwhelming, right? Because it's like, I don't know where do I start, right? There's like all these different things. And so for you, do you feel like when you approach somebody who might have this like multi layered illness going on. Is there one that you tend to go after first, or is it sort of like a, I mean, I know a lot of this depends on the person. So this is a very general question, but how, how is, how do you like to approach it?
2: Yes. I think that's a great question. Cause I actually have learned to do a certain order that works better than others. Um, and I didn't really mention environmental toxins, but I feel like that's the elephant in the room is, um, Even 10 years ago, what you said is so important that I want to just repeat it. 10, 20, I started about 20 years ago in this field. So quite a while, Um, but 20 years ago, for sure. And even 10 years ago, I would have people walk in with just Hashimoto's thyroiditis. We take gluten out of the diet. We clean up a few things in their lifestyle and their body products and give them eating clean and they'd be fine. They'd be controlled with or without thyroid medication, depending on the person. Um, Or they come in with menopause symptoms, pretty straightforward hormonal balance, decreased stress, and they'd be fine. Um, Those were the days I wish sometimes to go back to that because nowadays, just like you mentioned, almost everyone that comes into my office is way, way more complex than that. There's 10 layers instead of one and there's 10 symptoms instead of one. And there's a level of complexity that is so much greater than it was. And even every year that I practice, it keeps getting more and more complex. My theory around that is our environmental toxic load is ever increasing. And we have these persistent organic pollutants, which they're named persistent for a reason. Their half-life is like 50 years. So every year that we add, yeah, every year we add like hundreds of thousands of new chemicals and the breakdown of these chemicals, half-life, if it's 50 years, that means we are just exponentially increasing our exposure. And this is, again, mold in the environment is increasing. Um, Radiation like EMFs are increasing. EMFs are actually making the mold worse. And then just toxic chemicals. So from our food supply, to our water supply, um, to our air supply. So it's, I always say, clean air, clean water, clean food, basic, basic stuff. We are breathing in, we're eating, we're consuming, and we're absorbing toxins on every level. So all of a sudden, what our bodies had this threshold to be able to handle a decade ago, we're reaching that threshold of what we can handle. And so that breaks the immune system and back to our first theory of these things popping up. So then the link to autoimmune disease is when that break happens, the old infections will pop up, the toxins will also contribute, and the body will start to get confused. And that's the beginning of autoimmunity. Wow. And so that's so
0: beautifully said because I do feel like it's it. people are more complex. Even in the short amount of time I've been practicing relative to you, I'm like, where? what is going on? You know, is it just it's not just California because I practice there. It's not just Colorado because I practice there. Same with Chicago. Um, and so do you feel like when you have one of these complex cases walk in your door, do you start then with just removing the things that we can control right away? Like what we're like, you were saying, clean air, clean water.
2: Yeah. The original question. No, that's okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's all right. So,
2: yeah. So, um, Yes, you must start. Now, thank goodness we live in Boulder, basically right next door. And so we already have patients that are already, you know, gluten-free, dairy-free, organic. Like, fortunately for me, most of my patients are already on a clean diet. In Illinois, that wasn't the case. So no. I would start with get rid of yeah. the soda, start eating organic, and start with this or that. Or So um, diet is huge because that's our, you know, obviously our nutritional component and also our environmental, um, our, our exterior reflection, basically. So, and clean water, which can't be overemphasized and making sure you're getting rid of soda or any of those artificial sweeteners or things. Um, so clean water, clean air, um, clean air, about 80% of our environmental toxic load is through the air we breathe. And most people are not even thinking about that. So making sure air filtration in your home, maybe a meter that shows VOCs and stuff, you can get those really cheap on Amazon now, um, are as a starting place, because you've got to have what you're consuming as much as possible. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be as clean as possible within your limits. Um, But as far as the order, what I see a lot of times is there's some sort of mast cell activation. Again, this is a whole nother topic, but all that means is your body has become a producer of prostaglandins and histamine, which are chemicals that make you more reactive. So part of the problem with the patients that come see us is they're not only having autoimmune disease and maybe infections that are driving that, but they're more reactive. So when we try to treat them, they don't tolerate the things that the average patient without that sensitivity would tolerate. So maybe two drops of a substance that we would try to give them, makes them rashy or irritated or um, brain foggy. Whereas before we could give them a one drop or full of that same tincture. Uh, So that reactivity has to be calmed down before you can begin treatment. Not everybody Mm. has that, but that's absolutely step one is treating or addressing if there's histamine issues or mast cell activation. And that also goes into what we started to talk about earlier, which is limbic system So our limbic system is our fight or flight. It's the thing that feels threatened by danger or infection or toxin. And if your limbic system is in a state of fight or flight, either from trauma or from physical um, chemicals or from bad food or from emotional stress or any of these things, you have to start to work on the calming of the limbic system. So those things have to come first. Then I would look at environmental toxic load and mold comes to the top because it's probably one of the worst toxins. So before I would treat Lyme, I would always treat mold and get them out of the exposure. What I've found is probably half of the time, even if they are presenting with Lyme disease and symptoms of Lyme or co-infections, if we get them out of the toxic mold environment, sometimes their immune system will go back online and they don't need aggressive treatment back online and they don't need aggressive treatment for the Lyme disease. So that's kind of the order that I do things. Lyme is usually last in that. Isn't
0: that fascinating? And I think a lot of doctors are probably used to diving into that first, which then you've got mast cell activation. And I love that you define this order. It's beautiful. All right. I know you're busy. So tell our audience where they can find you and all of those good things. Cause you produce great material all the time.
2: Thank you. Thank you. So my website is just jillcarnahan.com. My name is All free content there. If you go to the blog, you can read about the PEMF mat we were talking about. (laughs) I wrote recently about both Bartonella and Babesia, which are two co-infections if you want to know more. All that's just free on the blog. Um, And the brand new thing I did, and we did one of these together, so your listeners will love hearing you and I on my YouTube channel. And that's just under Jill Carnahan under YouTube. You can find it all free content interviews. Be sure and find. I don't know the episode number, but um, Dr. Nicole and I have an interview that was really fun. Um, you can get that all for free. So I hope you'll subscribe to that as well. Awesome. Jill, thank you so
0: much for being on. I appreciate you so much. You too, Dr. Nicole.
1: The statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the FDA. Information provided here and products recommended or sold on coffeewiththedocs.com and or our podcast are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The information provided by this site and or by this podcast is not a substitute for a face-to-face consultation with your physician and should not be construed as medical advice of any sort. By using any of this information or reading it, you are accepting responsibility for your own health and health decisions and expressly release Dr. Nicole Huffman and Dr. Abby Kramer and its partners and guests from any and all liability whatsoever, including that arising from negligence.